Well, our study today is on the sharing of God's word. And it's actually the last day of the study, but everything else is working up to that. And so we will do an overview. It talks about metaphors or symbols of the word of God. And we might ask, why do you think these word pictures are given to us? And we're going to talk about creation and the creative power of God, the benefits of Bible study, and then the application to us personally, and then that enables us to share with other, with other people. So, to begin with, let's read the, uh, the memory verse, the scripture text. It comes from Isaiah 55, verse 11. And I'll read it here. So shall my word be that goes forth from my mouth. It shall not return unto me void, but it shall accomplish that which I please, and it shall prosper in the thing for which I sent it. And as I was looking at the, that passage, I looked at the word soul. What does the word soul mean? Anyone have an idea? Either in the audience or Gabby, do you if have? If I'm not mistaken, the the verses before it talks, it gives an illustration um, in nature that the rain comes and okay. it doesn't just uh, go to nothingness and waste, but uh, in the end, there's produce, there's food, and there's there's a result. And in the same way, just like this rain, when it comes down, it gives life and food. The word of mm -hmm. God doesn't go and nothing happens. There's always something productive, life-giving um, for us. Okay, good. This is, now the word soul is an adverb that it refers to just what's gone before. And I'd like to read the verse 10. It says, for as, and you have the word as is a clue to what's coming. As the rain comes down, the snow from heaven, and do not return there, but water the earth, and they make it bring forth and bud, that it may give seed to the sower and bread to the eater. And then it goes on to our memory verse, so the word of God will perform that which, which he claims that it will do. Uh, what kind of promise do we have in, in verse 11? Perhaps Feel free, please. We have mics. Just raise your hands and they will yeah. come right to you. What evidence do we have that um, God accomplishes that which he states or what he desires? Or do we have any evidence? <laughs> what do you think? Good. Well, if you go if you go by the scripture and all the prophecies in scripture they all came true when God spoke about Jesus's first coming all the prophecies came true and the second coming all the words will come true okay so whatever the context is we can be assured that God is giving us some kind of a message for us personally and to share with others um, now a question I have do you know that the Word of God, or that the Bible is the Word of God? 
At least that's what it claims to be. What? At least that's what it claims to yeah. be. You know, it's interesting that the first sentence in the Bible talks about God, the Creator, but it doesn't, it doesn't attempt to prove that God is God. It simply assumes it. And as we read Scripture, we know that it is true, that God is true uh, to His Word. Um, are there any other, any other ideas? How do you know personally that the Word of God is true? Yes. For me personally, I think it's the prophecies, the time prophecies that came true. This tells us that the Bible is something more than just a book, that this is a prophetic, it came true. So these tell us that this book has something written by something more than just a man any, at any rate. And then the Bible also says about nature, you know, there's enough evidence in nature to believe that I exist. And so nature was created by God. Okay, so you, you believe that the, the prophecies are accurate. Yes. I, what, hey, how you guys doing? How you doing, Mark? Did I hear? Hey, brother. Hey, brother. Okay. Uh, <clears throat> follow up on that. Uh, is the Bible historically accurate? We talked about prophetic accuracy. What about historical? And how do we know? It is historically accurate, and we have archaeology as one of the main things that, to prove that to us. Okay, that's good. In fact, archaeology is very important. I didn't think it used to be. <laughs> I, I thought uh, when I read about archaeologists and some of the things they had done uh, and how they worked, and they said, you know, they get down to the nitty-gritty. of They'll have a, a, a pick and a toothbrush, and they'll... Get the dust off of what they're looking for. But I listened to Dr. Siegfried Horn one time, and he was talking about the book of Daniel, and he spoke, spoke specifically of uh, chapter 3, and he said, you know, the higher critics really tore the book of Daniel apart. We didn't have any answers, not a lot of answers outside of the Bible. But he said in recent years they found all kinds of evidence. And one of the things with chapter 3, there are three words there that are Greek, they're of Greek origin, and they've been implanted in the Aramaic or the, the um, Bible language. And so this was a bone of contention for the higher critics. And they said, oh, this can't be so because the Greeks were not in existence at that time, which is not true. Um, someone was actually digging around in the kitchen of the king's palace, Nebuchadnezzar's palace, and they found a tablet there with Greek words on it. <laughs> and so they had a grocery list of, of Greek words that gave them evidence that there was at least a cook <laughs> in, the, in the kitchen. And, uh, and I remember uh, I was overseas in uh, the Middle East on an archaeological dig after that. <laughs> and it was interesting to see the, uh, the things that were, were, able, were available through archaeology. Uh, for instance, Nebuchadnezzar. He was not known for a long time. Now they have found almost every brick they've overturned with his name stamped on it. So archaeology, as you said, has certainly demonstrated the, the scripture is true. Now, anything else? How, other, any other idea of how uh, we know that the Bible is true? There's Bible accuracy in history and in prophecy. Can you think of anything else that 
that might uh, help us to understand? I would have to go from a personal standpoint and say how it has affected my life, okay. what it has caused me to be, the direction I used to go, and the direction it's causing me to go. That okay. has to be the Word of God, the yeah. power that's in that. Okay. In fact, that was one of the things I was thinking of. We have another one in back there. Oh, go ahead. Go ahead, go ahead. Oh. I forgot what I was going to say. <laughs> <laughs> But I think uh, <clears throat> we have all of the Bible characters that believed in God. It wasn't just one. It wasn't Abraham. You know, it was all, everybody that was living at that time. They all believed him. I think the enemies were the only ones that didn't. <laughs> okay. Yeah. Thank you. But certainly the, there's a unity also of Scripture. Um, sometimes it looks like there might be different parts, which there are different parts, but we need to remember that the writers spoke out of their own experience, their own context, but when you put them all together, there's a theme. I would, I'm going to ask this question. Who is the theme of Scripture? Who is the theme? Jesus Christ, Jesus Christ yes. Um, many times in his... Uh, his experience on earth, he would turn people to the scriptures, the Old Testament, that's all they had. I remember one time I was in a, in a, um, a teaching situation, and I was not the only one, but we were holding a um, evangelistic seminar for several of our students in, in universities. And uh, one young man was I could see he had had some doubts about him, but it wasn't it wasn't too bad at the time. But years later, when I was pastoring a, a church in one, close to one of our hospitals, I got this phone call. It was this student. He didn't tell me who he was, but I could re I recognized his voice, you know. And our one of our elders decided to have an evangelistic series, and he didn't put the church sponsoring it, but he. He worked at the hospital, and so he had the hospital sponsor the evangelistic series. And everyone in the area knew that this was an Adventist hospital. But this young fellow called me up, and he was furious. And he was saying that uh, we were deceiving people. And I said, well, you know, you know what the hospital represents, who, who owns it, or you know, who was affiliated with it. And uh, so that was... That was um, unquestionable. But as I listened to him, and I said, are you a Seventh-day Adventist? <laughs> because he was saying things that just weren't on target. And he says, I'm a New Testament Christian. And I thought, oh, that's interesting. But I want to ask you a question about this. Can you be a New Testament Christian without being an Old Testament Christian? Can you be an Old Testament Christian Testament. without being an Old Testament Christian? Okay. I would say no because the, the Old Testament is the same as the New Testament and the, the New Testament is just 
enlarged. You know, it's just a yes. larger picture of the Old Testament to me. Yeah, very good. So, so I would say in order, you, you have to be, you have to take both sides. You know, it's like, it's one whole book. You know, it's no old and new. It's just, it's just the Bible to me. Yeah, both Testaments testify of Christ. The Old Testament points forward to him coming. The New Testament says he's already been here. And you know, if you if you take out all the Old Testament scriptures, references, quotes, allusions, um, yeah. in the New Testament, if you if you just remove them, you have just scraps and pieces. Uh, you don't really have a New Testament. So yeah. it's all it's all connected. One is built upon the foundation of the other. Okay. And you remember what Jesus said about Moses? He said, "If you had believed Moses, you would believe in me." But he constantly turned people to the Old Testament. Uh, because it was it was the gospel of, of that day, so but there's a unity there, and it's the, the unity is centered in Christ Himself, a prophetic accuracy, historical accuracy, and for us personally, it, it should change our lives. It will change our lives if we if we allow it. I remember reading of a of a, an atheist in Russia a number of years ago, and he was an actor, a very successful actor. And he came out on the stage to denounce Christ. And he started in, and then he started praising Christ. <laughs> and over and over, and the people were behind the curtain trying to shut him down. And he wouldn't do it, he just kept on. And they finally pulled the curtain on him, and just before it uh, closed, he said, Christ is Lord of all. <laughs> you know, so, but he had been, he'd been an atheist, but God had been working on his heart. <laughs> Alrighty. Let's consider some of the symbols that uh, the Bible pictures. There are several of them. We're, we only have a few here, but uh, if, um, in fact, if there are people in the audience, is there so, anyone who would read Psalm 119, 105? And then if another person will read Jeremiah, 2329, and I'll call on you as we, as we go. And then if someone would read um, Luke 8, 11, and then someone else, Matthew 4, 4, and I'll call them in that order. Uh, Psalm 119, 105, who has that? You have that, good. Thy word is a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path. Okay, what, what's the... What's the use now of, of light and a lamp? What, what message does that have to us personally? Light to see where we're going. Okay, okay. And it also, it reaches into the dark places of our mind to lighten up what needs to be light. Okay, someone have Jeremiah 23 and verse 29. Okay. Uh, it says, Is not my word like as a fire, saith the Lord, and like a hammer that breaketh the rock in pieces? Okay, so there's two symbols here. These are metaphors. Two symbols uh, dealing with the word of God. Um, it, number one, it says it's fire, and the other says it's a hammer. What do these things mean? What does it mean that the word of God is a fire? Help. 
I think of a grand light, a grand, I mean, it's just illuminating, you know, a big area. You're talking about maybe glory or that type of thing? The yeah. fire, yeah, I yeah. think of it, it's just but lighting what, up the huge place. Okay, what, what does it do in our lives? <laughs> it, it makes us share. To help well, us you, share. You okay. There's one hand behind. Yeah, okay. Oh, no, we have one over here. Okay, this, this lady here first. I yeah. think fire purifies us and uh, hammer breaks us. It's like it, it's, uh, it, it breaks us from our, our sins, I can think like that. Okay, did, did I hear you say it cleanses us? Yeah, purifies, fire purifies. Yes. Okay, good, thank you, yes. And you... you... I got a question, so can you repeat it? What was oh, the question? What does what does fire mean? What does fire mean? The, what, the word of God is is like a fire. I'm not getting you. The, wor the word of God is like a fire. Is what it says here in Jeremiah. So, in terms of being a fire, what is that? What does that mean to you? It actually, it actually means. Um, Not uh, unknown. It's like an unknown thing. I don't know where it's going. The fire is all out of control. So, so as I listen and learn, I will. I, I have to take the, the the steps to learn and go uh, through what I'm, I'm 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 being guided as because the fire is uncontrollable. Okay. Now, are you saying it's uncontrollable or controllable? Uncontrollable. Hmm. Uh, and uh, it's it's very uncontrollable. A fire, if you look at a fire, it goes all different ways. Okay, t well, today we certainly know there's uh, uncontrollable fires in the West. Yeah. <laughs> but the Word of God, though, is pretty specific. When I'm listening to, when I'm listening to this, it, I, it's, it's like everywhere. I mean, huh. I, I, it's, it's, it's got me, it's, it's so uncontrollable. I can, I, I can listen to you, but it's so, it's so unique. It's a, okay. I, I can't grasp it because it's uncontrollable. Okay, thank you. Yeah. It's a, I, I wouldn't have thought about it like that but it, it is something interesting when the word of God gets out no one can stop it you know um, it goes and goes and and you see the history of the New Testament church they the devil through persecuted persecution try to stop the spread of the word but uh, it was too too great to be controlled and fire burns it does and I remember when Jesus was walking with those two disciples on the way to Emmaus didn't what he say burn within us? The yeah. word of God has that ability to stir us deep within. Yeah. By the way, was that the Old Testament or New Testament? <laughs> <laughs> that was all Old Testament. Absolutely, yes. And uh, I often thought as I've read that, should not the Old Testament, should our hearts not burn today as we read about Christ, especially in the Old Testament? I believe so. Okay, in that same verse, it says the word of God is like a hammer. Now, what does that mean? What, <laughs> what do you do with a hammer? Well, you can either drive things or break things okay. with a hammer. Okay, right. so you can either build up build or up take up. down. Yes, yeah. there you go. Do the, does, the, does the word act as a hammer to break our hard hearts? Absolutely, we needed to do that. Yeah, that, that's the first work. And then 
uh, the nails become in a sure place <laughs> when God build, builds us up again. All right, now uh, the next one is uh, Luke chapter 8, verse 11, dealing with a seed. What does that mean? What's the purpose of a... Why does, why does Jesus liken the Word of God to a seed? We have a hand this way. Who is reading that? Who is supposed to read that? Yeah, someone should read. Yeah, we want to read it. Because it it grows like a seed. Jesus said, "If you had the faith of a mustard seed, it will grow." John, can you read the? Can you read that verse first for us, please? Eight, eight, verse eleven. Yeah. Now the parable is this: the seed is the word of God. Okay. What does this mean? How? Why is it likened to a, why is the word of God likened to a seed? What's in a seed that gives us an illustration of, of God's word? Well, life begets life, so life only comes from God. Only God can put that life in the seed to grow. Okay. <clears throat> when we have, uh, we have another, another hand here. I, um... Have a, I, I think it's uh, my perspective of it is the the seed itself is a is a thirst for knowledge. So when that seed is planted, it's it's, it's searching for for something. Um, and that in the in the in the way of you talking of of, of Jesus, uh, it was planted so um, so I can find out what I'm what, what I need to know in life to make it a, a, a successful life. So that, that seed is actually searching for wisdom. Okay, thank you. Um, what's in the seed that causes it to grow? You know, they, they found uh, seeds, again, going back to the archaeological model, or that what we we're talking about. They have found seeds that were planted in Egypt uh, probably 4,000 years ago, or not planted, but they found them in, in uh, storage bins and also in the Middle East. And they've taken some of those seeds out and have grown them in modern times. Now, why didn't that seed die <clears throat> from that time until now? You have a hand here. Oh, you have one there too? Because yeah. it was designed of God to uh, rest until the right time came for it to sprout. And water is present, then it's going to sprout. Okay. Evidently, there's life in that seed that God has planted, or that has, he has put into that seed. And when you get water and sunshine and nitrogen, it will spring forth and grow. Yes. You had a thought? Yeah. No, I, the water. Oh, okay, okay. The, I read of uh, uh, two, uh, two examples of the power of God's word, or, or a seed, tiny seed. Uh, there was a lady in England and then another gentleman from Germany. And both of them denied God to their dying day. And they said, we are going to, we're going to have our grave sites covered with concrete to demonstrate that there'll be no resurrection. God is not going to be able to, to uh, resurrect us because there is no God, you know, so there's no power. And, and the lady in, in England 
Uh, years later, there was a tiny crap, I would say in both, in Germany and in, in uh, England, a tiny crack began in the top of the concrete form. As time went on, there was a little, <laughs> a green leaf put, it, put its way up. That seed was a tree, it, it grew a tree, and it split, it split both of those tombs right down the middle. <laughs> the one in England, they tried to cover it up, they tried to cut it off, they tried everything they could, they could not. And there are four trees now growing out of that one seed in that, in that graveyard. And people have gone, gone from all over the world to check it out. But it's a testimony of the power of God's word. His word is like a seed. Now, I want to ask you a question. Which comes first, the chicken or the egg? <laughs> Maybe I shouldn't ask that one. <laughs> I'm going to say the egg. I see a head going this way. Why do you say that? Well, I created the chicken first. And are you then sure? He said, go, yes. And then he said, go forth and multiply. Where did the chicken come from? From God speaking, and it was formed. His seed, right? <laughs> from the chicken. From, <laughs> but when he spoke, it, his, that word was the seed the chicken, that created the chicken. Now you're splitting hair. <laughs> okay. <laughs> oh, I shouldn't have asked that, but... Uh, but actually, that's what I believe. I mean, the seed came first because it's the word of God. It is the seed. <laughs> and he, he spoke it into existence from his word. By the way, that reminds me, and it's a little bit later on, but it, it, it fits here. Um, have you ever tried to give someone a piece of your mind? And how do you do it? How do we give someone a piece of our mind? What? Tell them what you think. <laughs> We do it by speaking. So a thought is a, I mean, a, a, a word is a thought made audible. And Jesus is called the Word of God. He was God's thought made audible and visible while he was here on the earth. And when we repeat God's Word, we're repeating his thoughts to us and, and to others. That's one way we share uh, the goodness of God. All right, we need to move on to the bread. Someone has Matthew, Matthew chapter 4 and verse 4. If someone would read that. Okay, we have one here. Yes. Okay. Uh, but the answer, and, but he answered and said, it is written... Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceedeth out of the mouth of God. Okay, what does that mean, that, that God's word, or should I say, is, is God's word uh, here symbolized by bread? Yeah, he's comparing God's word to bread. Okay, yes. If you eat bread, that's not the only thing you need to live by. Okay. You, need, you need something else other than just the physical bread to live by. And he's yeah. saying it's the word of God. But every okay. word that proceeds. And I guess also, you know, the, just the analogy of bread or food. Uh, bread sustains you physically. Mm -hmm. um, it nourishes you. It, it gives you the strength to, to do life, you know, to live. 
And the word of God is the same. It nourishes us spiritually. It strengthens us. It helps us to live a life that Jesus lived. And just in the, in the natural is in the spiritual. If you don't have physical food, disease is easy to come upon you. And um, you, you will get so weak that someone can just touch you and you could fall. And it's the same thing when we're lacking the word as the bread, um, diseased, Temptations come and it just, we, we succumb easily to it uh, to the point that we become either spiritually starved if we don't have it and the devil just needs to just blow and you fall. So, okay. yeah. Okay, very good. The, um, Jesus lived by every word that proceeded from the mouth of the Father. Yes. Uh, I, I got I, I was going to ask a question about that, but I don't have my pencil, so I, I'm, my ink pen, so I can't write it down. To remember, um, what? Um, but, yeah. Bring the mic a little closer. Yeah, I, I can't remember what I because I didn't bring my pen with me. Um, do you do you believe um, that um, that that God that that what you the question that you just asked. Can you repeat it? Because I didn't, I can't write, I couldn't write it down. And I, it's, all, it's just right here, but I don't remember exactly the question. What you were talking about. Okay. I, I probably remember it then. The, um, of course, the context is that Jesus was answering the devil. The devil came to him and he said, if you are the son of God, make these stones into bread. Prove, you know, prove yourself. And so Jesus answered and said, uh, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. Do you, do you, I'm asking you a question. Do you believe that you have to have, that you, the bread is first or the spirit of God is first for you so you can uh, maintain? Which one would you prefer? I mean, which one do you think you would need first? You know, you're talking about between the spirit of God and the word? They, they, um, who was it that inspired the word? It was the Holy Spirit. They go together, or they should. Now, we can read the Bible without the Holy Spirit just to get some facts or whatever, and it, it won't do as much good. So the Spirit of God who inspired the Bible needs to be there to interpret it, to apply it to our hearts. So they, they both need to be there. Do, do the physical, the physical food, does, should that come first or should the Bible come first? Well, the Holy Spirit was first. I think his question is, so it's talking about in the verse, bread, physical bread, and then the word of God as being compared to bread. And his question is, which one comes first, the physical or the spiritual oh. bread? Well, the verse is talking about what should come first should, should be the spiritual bread. The, um, the physical bread is there all the time, but so is the, the spiritual bread. And as we partake of, actually, if we partake of our temporal bread, it should remind us of the spiritual bread of the Word of God, that we're to eat the Word of God uh, as we do our, our temporal food. You have a thought? So the spiritual bread has to come before the physical bread. Yeah. It does come. 
Jesus is the word. He's the creator. We don't come before the creator. The creator comes before us. So therefore, yeah. the word of God, the bread, the, the spiritual bread was there before even the physical bread. Yeah. Now, we're going to move into Monday's lesson. And uh, this is dealing about the creative power of God. Yeah. Yes. So, and uh, hmm, we have 25 minutes. <laughs> <laughs> and I need to share this time as Sorry well. <laughs> yeah. So yeah. we will. Um, hmm. <laughs> okay. Genesis one one. It says, "In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth." And then it explains how He did so. It says, "And God said, Let there be light.' And boom, what happened? There was, there was light. And this experience happened every day." Every day, and um, I was looking to see what was what was said um, in each creation day. The first one it says, "And there was light." But after each one, it says, "And God said whatever He said," and then it says, "And it was so." It was so. It was so. It was so. There's something about the the Word of God. When God speaks, things happen. The Word itself, there is creative power in it. Um, one of the things that the um, the author brought out with the, the word that was used uh, for God when God creates. It's his power to create out of nothing. So it's not like, you know, us, you know, we're going to build something and we, we cut some trees down and uh, we, we built, we uh, put some uh, nails together and, you know, we build something with existing material, but God does things with nothing existing and his word brings those things into existence but God's word doesn't just create things it does something more and if um, I guess for sake of time let's go to Hebrews Hebrews chapter 1 I'll read this mm -hmm. Hebrews chapter 1 and we're gonna look at verse 1 to 3 Hebrews chapter 1 verse 1 to 3 and the scripture says, God, who at sundry times and in diverse manners spake in time past unto the fathers by the prophets, hath in these last days spoken unto us by his Son, whom he hath appointed heir of all things, by whom also he made the worlds, who, being in the brightness of his Father, of his glory and the express image of his person, and upholding all things by the word of his power, when he had by himself purged our sins, sat down on the right hand of the majesty on high. So first of all, this point is, look, God has spoken. And he, did, he didn't just speak in the past. He's now speaking to us through his son. But the son, that was the agency of creation. And, and not only did he create all things, that same word that created everything, it upholds and sustains everything. It's amazing. You know, you say, let there be light, and God didn't need to continue to say, let there be light, let there be light, let there be light. The word that created was the word that kept whatever said, what was said, going. It's really, I mean, just truly amazing. Go ahead. Think about what that means for our salvation. Okay. Think about what that means for making us a new creature in Christ Jesus. It's not from existing, so it can't be from us trying to be better. This new creature that we become is because God says we are now a new creature. 
The power is in his word to transform and to change us. That should comfort us as those who are sinners and accepting his call. We know that what's going to be done is through him. And what he says happens. Mm -hmm. Go ahead. No. So, well, I was, going to, I was going to say or ask the question. So you're saying that redemption is an act of creation. Amen. Definitely. Amen. <laughs> Amen. So the same, same power, same person. Christ created. He recreates us by the power of his word. Yes. Yeah, we have a hand over here. I've heard, I've heard it said that in uh, Psalms 51.5 that the verse created me a clean heart is the same. Now, I'm not a theologian by any, by any means, but it said this word create is the same one used in Genesis 1. So I believe that creating me a clean heart is the same creation, the same power as God creates the worlds. So you're saying when it says creating me a clean heart, oh God, that's the same language that was used in Genesis 1? It I've is. I just looked it up. I've heard a minister say that, so yeah. I'm not an authority. I just, I just looked it up. It and is. That is correct. It is. I just looked it up. So yes, and what was mentioned before, you know, the same power uh, that is in the audible spoken word of God is the same one in the written word. The same exact one. And I'll, <laughs> I'll, we'll go briefly. Um, let's go to Matthew 8. Matthew 8. And here we see just more, you know, the power of God, it wasn't just illustrated in creation. Uh, we see it illustrated throughout scripture, but especially highlighted in the ministry of Jesus while he was here on earth. And in Matthew chapter 8, uh, we see in verse 5, Jesus is in Capernaum, and there is a centurion who came to him begging him, to save the life of his servant. This servant was dear to him. And um, he came to Jesus. And Jesus, this is what he says in verse 7. And Jesus said unto him, I will come and heal him. So Jesus saying, you know, I, I'll, I'll come to your home and we'll, we'll work um, toward his restoration. But this, this soldier says, no, no. No, 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 no. First of all, I'm not worthy for you to come under my roof but he says just something amazing he says but speak the word only and my servant would be healed this man had an understanding of power and of authority and he saw in jesus an authority greater than he had ever seen and he knew that there was something powerful about his word. And he recognized, look, you don't even need to be here. I trust that your word is just as good as your physical presence. Isn't that amazing? Because sometimes we like to uh, trust on feeling. You know, I want to feel that Jesus is here with me uh, going through whatever it is and that I want to have that assurance, but the reality is the word of God, the promises in it are just as effective as I'm the gonna, presence itself. I'm going to clarify that a little Go bit. ahead. The promise is the assurance. We're, yes. we're trying to feel the assurance, and God says, no, my word is the assurance, all right? If I go and prepare a place for you, I will what? 
I will come. We have the assurance Jesus is coming back because he has spoken it. Everything that God has spoken, the power is also there to accomplish it. So if you want assurance in your salvation, believe the word of God. That's where the assurance is. Can't we prove the word of God? Can't we prove God? Can we go to him and say, God, prove yourself? Yes, I mean, he's told us to do it. Okay. Um, well, right now in the promise, I think of uh, Malachi. T- yeah, the tithes. The tithes yeah. and offerings mm-hmm. to, to prove him, but it's, it's applicable to all of his promises yeah. to prove him. Has any, does anyone have an experience where they've taken a promise of the word of God and you said, Lord, you said to prove you and you've proven God and you've, you, you've proven him uh, to be true. Does anyone have an experience that they would like to share? That they've taken the word and the word did what it said. It didn't fail him. Uh, I go to uh, several different churches, uh, and I, uh, I, I moved out of Michigan uh, four years ago. Uh, and I, well, not actually out of Michigan, I went to Grand Rapids on, on the journey that I started. Um, but I, when I left, I, uh, me and God wasn't best of friends. Okay, I, I I knew God ever since I was growing up, but I wasn't his closest per, person. So uh, anyway, I get I, I go to this house where I, I do a lot of uh, I, I do clean up people's grasses and cut grass and stuff. So I see this old guy. He's uh, out there working on the on the on the house. So I, I, I stopped and I asked him if I can you know get a job because I just got there and I needed some food. Um. He said, sure, but I don't want you to do, the, to do this. I want you to do something else. So he took me to a church. Um, and we went and we got food from a pantry somewhere, some way out, and we came and dropped off the food. So then I'm, I'm telling him, I'm looking for an apartment to, to live in because I, I don't have any one right at the moment. He said, oh, you know, that house you was working at, I own that house, and it's an apartment available there. I said, really? He turns out to be the pastor of the church up the street too, but he's about 70 or 80 years old. So he gives me, he gives me this bicycle about two or three days later to ride it. I didn't really want to ride it because I like walking, but I, I got the bike anyway and I rode it. I, uh, one night I, was, I went to go get some, some food to eat at a restaurant I, and there was four people in there. It was a lady and her three daughters. And I told them, I said, do not worry about your food today. I'm getting ready to buy it. I was going to buy the food. But then God spoke to me and said, your bike just got taken. This is almost nighttime. I, so I looked, at the, I looked at the people and I said, hold on, miss. I think my bike just got taken. I walked out the door and it was gone. That old, the old man had let me use the bike, if you remember the story. So I go back to the house. Um, and as soon as I opened the door, he opened his door. And the first thing he said is, where's the bike? <laughs> I said, uh, I had to make up a story. I'm not going to lie. Well, I did lie. <laughs> so I said, well, I've been drinking. So they, they, put it up, they put it in the garage for me. He said, okay, we'll go get in the morning. I said, okay. So I go in the house. I don't know what to do. But my spirit come to me and said, don't worry about it. Just lie down. Take a rest. So I lie down. And before I know anything, the knock on the door, 6 o'clock in the morning, already. He said, come on, let's go get the bike. Um, I get up. I said, Okay. But I'm talking to myself. I don't ask, I don't, I don't really ask God questions. I listen though. 
I said, well, I don't talk to myself. I don't know what I'm going to do. He said, I heard his spirit say, don't worry about it. Just get in the car. I get in the car. And every time I heard my higher power voice say, tell this gentleman to turn one way. I said, turn this way, turn that way. I said that three times, and I looked over his shoulder. The bike was sitting on the porch. That story, I got millions of them like that. <laughs> if you understand, if you follow the story. Thank you. Um, I'm going to pass over the time <laughs> to Aubrey. No, I was just in passing. All right, let's go to Wednesdays. And we're talking about, it's one thing to be talking about the Word of God. It's another thing, are we applying the Word of God to our lives? And as we have traveled through the week, we should have gotten the clear and distinct understanding that with the Word of God comes the power of God to accomplish what he says he would do in those words. So, it starts here, it says, someone has counted more than 3,000 promises in the Word of God. Think about that for a minute. There are 3,000 specific things that God has said he would do for us. Do we really believe that God will do what he says? Turn with me to 2 Peter 1, verse 3. All right. Second Peter chapter 1, verse 3. As his divine power has given to us all things that pertain to life and godliness through the knowledge of him who calls us by glory and virtue. So what has given us all things? Divine power. <clears throat> divine. His divine power. His creative power has given us all things pertaining to what? To life. John later on goes and says that this is the testimony of God the Father. Right? He has given us eternal life in his Son. Therefore, if you have the Son, you have what? If we have Jesus, there's power in having Jesus in our lives. So what are we waiting for? As individuals, as a church, what are we waiting for? The power is promised to us, is it not? And he's promised that we will become partakers of that power. We have to do a better job at not just hearing the promises of God, but believing the promises of God. 
While we're there, let's turn to Hebrews for a minute. Hebrews chapter 3, verse 19. Again, we're talking here about how are we supposed to apply the Word of God to our lives. And I'm saying it's time we start believing the Word of God, expecting it to do in our lives what it says it will do. Look at Hebrews chapter 3, verse 19. Does anyone have that would like to read that for me? So we see that they were unable to enter because of unbelief. So we see that they, who is the they? Anybody know the context of this verse? Children of Israel that were in the wilderness. Yes, children of Israel. God wanting to take them to the promised land. Does God want to take us to a promised land? So what prevented them from getting into the promised land? Unbelief. Refusing to believe that what God has said he will do. So they saw all these giants, they saw all these fortified cities, and they looked at all these men of war, and they said, we can't do this. Did God ask them to do anything? Just to follow him, trust him, that was it. Trust. Accept and take him at his word. If we're going to start applying the word of God to our lives, we're going to have to change some things. Because if we keep doing it the same way they did it in the past, we're only going to get the same results. If God says he wants to give us a kingdom, what are we supposed to do? Believe him. Take him at his word. And people look at, look at themselves, but I'm not qualified. I'm, I have this weakness, I have this problem, and I have all these things. This is not what God is asking of us. He's saying, believe me, and I have the ability, I have the creative ability to make a new creature out of you. Our lives would be so much different today, I think, if we lived by that. Now, a question I have, could there be someone or some ones who want to believe but cannot do so? I'll give an illustration of this. Say if a person has been raised in a broken home where they cannot, they could not trust their parents or parent, how can they believe? Can they believe without trusting someone? And how do, you, how do you learn to trust someone? You know, this is, this is a very, very good question. Um, in terms of learning to trust someone, especially when all of your experience has been, uh, I can't trust anyone. Um, mm-hmm. Trusting someone, really, you, get, you have to get to know them. Okay. Um, know who they are and recognize from experience that these people are trustworthy and you know it's the same thing with with God um, if we've had like 
negative experiences of um, just not finding anyone um, trustworthy when coming to trusting in God is just seeing through the word mm-hmm. how he has said what he's going to do and he did it that he is trustworthy and also for those in their sphere who are Christians to show from their life as well that mm-hmm. um, you can trust me not because I say you can trust me but because my actions demonstrate that I'm someone who's, who's trustworthy. So they need to have that example um, from others and also from the word of God as well. Mm-hmm. Seeing his character, who he is, that he is one who, who can have our trust. Okay, so you're saying that by, by uh, getting to know Christ, and that sometimes it takes time, but he'll give us enough time <laughs> to where we can trust him and, and to believe. All right, let me answer it. Is there a possibility, if I'm understanding your question correctly, that there are people who can't believe or, or don't have the ability to believe? Well, they've been, they've been damaged emotionally to where they, they cannot trust. Well, Is there any hope for them? Is there a difference between trusting and believing? Well, they're pretty close. <laughs> <laughs> they're pretty close, but there is still a unique difference. All right. So God says he has given every man a measure of faith. Therefore, we have the ability to believe. It doesn't mean we are trusting everything. No, my trust might have been shattered. But because I have that belief, I personally believe like that father of that demonic, I can ask God to help thou my unbelief. Mm-hmm. I can ask him to strengthen that, but he will give me enough that I can ask that question because mm-hmm. I know he wants me in his kingdom more than I even want to be there. Okay. Amen. All right, I think we are probably <laughs> out of time. Or can are we out of time? Yeah. We got a little time? All right. Let me ask one more thing then, and this is important on Thursday's lesson. Let's go to Acts chapter 4, verse 20. I guess I will read this for the sake of time. And just before going there, um, one of the verses that really struck me on on Wednesday's lesson was Matthew 13, 58. And it says, uh, Jesus didn't do many mighty works because of unbelief. It didn't say he didn't do any work. Um, but it says he didn't do many, and the little that he did, they weren't great and mighty because of unbelief. You know, Jesus was prevented. Jesus wanted to pour out blessings for this community here, but because of unbelief, he, he gave them something, but it wasn't all that he wanted to give. And that's the same with us. God, yes, he, he will bless us, but when we trust him... I tell you, he will blow your mind away. Yes. Um, in these few days, uh, God has blown my mind away. Not because of me, mm-hmm. but because of him. Yeah, his yeah, faithfulness yeah. is beyond mm-hmm. me. So as we go to Thursday, as we realize that Jesus is the word of God, therefore Jesus is the power of God unto salvation. Therefore, when we are asked to witness, are we asked to witness about the doctrines that we believe? Our unique Christian culture? What is it God is asking us to be a witness to? 
Is it not to Jesus? Go into all the world, teaching them what? Of what Jesus has done for us. Why? Because there is power in the name of Jesus. So we look at Acts chapter 4, verse 20 here. All right? And this is Peter speaking on behalf of the, the apostles who were thrown in jail. He says, For we cannot but speak the things which we have seen and heard. What's another word for seen and heard? Experience. If you have not experienced Jesus, there is no power in that word for you. We have to experience Jesus. So witnessing more is about you experiencing Jesus in your day-to-day -day life. And when you speak to people of your experience with God, the Bible says there's power in that. And it causes a change in them. It causes an affecting them. And like the seed which you might not see immediately, it'll grow. And it will grow and it will grow. And no matter what they put on it, if we are showing the world what Jesus has done for us, it will break through the hardest of hearts. The question is, do we believe? Mm -hmm. And are we willing to have an experience with him? Just something quick, you know. Um, so we're talking about definitely sharing our experience. But as it relates to the word and, for instance, the doctrines, um, it's more than just sharing about the doctrines. If the doctrines don't show how, how beautiful, if we don't present the doctrines as showing how beautiful Jesus is, how, how amazing the character of God is, and re repainting the, the, the thwarted picture that he's been given, um, sometimes it's best just to be quiet. <laughs> Really, because if, if, if that's not done, you, you come with a spirit of, I know better than you. And who likes when someone comes with that spirit to them? No one. No one loves it. And, and, it, and it comes through, whether you believe it or not. Um, but yeah, having this truth humble you to see, look, this is not about me and how much I know, but it's about what this shows about Jesus and how it makes him even more beautiful than Amen. before when you really look at him. Amen. With that, I'm going to ask you to close us out because of time. Yeah, we got some <laughs> few seconds. Thank you all for joining us and participating with us, and I hope we see you again next week. <laughs> Father in heaven, we thank you so much for the blessings of your Sabbath and just for um, the time that we had in your word. Lord, we, we've learned about um, the power of your word, and Lord, our need to, to take you at it. Lord, please help us to grow in our experience of trusting you, of proving you, and taking you at your word, and moving by faith with that, and with that experience, sharing it with others, and just showing how good you have been and will continue to be to us. Continue to be with us through the rest of the Sabbath, and uh, may we experience its blessings. In your precious name, Jesus, we pray. Amen. Amen.